When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here in America, work is in trouble. We've offshored our manufacturing, sent away good jobs, and lost so much ability to make things. American Giant is a company that's pushing back against this tide. They make high-quality clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more right here in the USA. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Promo code STAPLE20. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick uh, here back for part two of the offense against the Bucks, And we have a few things to talk about. Jason from Huddle It Up Films is here. Jason, how you doing? I'm still here, Ken. Doing really well. Nice discussion on the first pod. Can't wait to get started again. Always these these part two pods. The first thing I always say, if you haven't listened to it already, go back and, and download that. There's lots of good stuff in there. A lot of discussion of Patrick Ricard, his place in the offense. A lot on the offensive line in terms of who's really impressed. Jason and I are both uh, Big Ben Cleveland fans as of right now in terms of making sure he makes the roster. We'll talk about that a little bit more in this episode as we go. But I think we just can start off with a with a general topic of, you know, what have we really seen in terms of what Monken's scheme might really look like come September 11th, right? September 11th? Yeah. 10th. 10th. 10th, I think. Okay. Yep. What might the, the 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 offense look like? Have we seen much of that so far? I don't think so. I think we saw, for instance, uh, seems like a lot of, of twins set, which is basically two receivers on each side. I don't think we've, we haven't seen the, uh, the bunches out. We haven't seen a ton of creativity from him, but I will say, Ken, I was very impressed with the space that was created on that first drive yeah. on, uh, on, on this last game. It was, I mean, it's guys running wide open against the Bucks ones and, uh, you know, are not our best receivers by far. And, uh, I, you know, I, I, so I loved it. It looked like, you know, I have to take a deeper dive to see exactly how he got open. I know Ke- Coach Evans, Septitali, did a video on this. If, if anyone wants to watch 
But uh, I, I think that I've been – I don't think he's shown so much, but I think we've seen kind of like spurts, like that first drive he, he wanted to score, and it looked like he, he, did, he did what he wanted with the Bucks' first team. Yeah, it was it was impressive because he was under heavy pressure. Johnson was, and uh, and he made some throws that uh, made the scheme work. I think in a lot of ways, mm. the, the, the obviously a lot of the the the, the Bucks had uh, sent extra assets uh, for pressure to get pressure, and they did a very good job of it. But Johnson was wonderful throwing the football despite uh, not having the most uh, obvious things. And that's one of the first things I want to talk about is the, this quarterback situation. We talked about some of the pros and cons in that first episode. Again, download it if you haven't, about why you might take Johnson over Huntley. And there's a couple of why you would take Huntley over Johnson. Um, but, you know, Johnson's performance in this game had to help him. Uh, it's not just the injury to Huntley that's doing it. It's I don't think it's just a fit perspective. I don't think it's just about the cap by any stretch because uh, it's about a million and a half savings for, for taking Johnson. And I don't even think it's about the possibility of them not wanting both of them. Uh, potentially uh, to have both of them on the roster, one on IR and the other on the roster or whatever it might be. I, I think it's 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 really a matter of just Johnson played very well in this game and he helped his own cause and is making this a very difficult decision. He is composure. Composure keeps coming to mind. He He's not known to be the most elusive player, but he just, he can anticipate, he can feel, he can see, and he can make throws and it's really, really, tough to do when things are moving fast. But I guess when you've been in the league as long as him, it becomes second nature, something that it's going to take Huntley uh, a lot more time to develop. And when we see Huntley under pressure, maybe Ken, you want to speak to that and put it in terms how he compares uh, Huntley compares under pressure to what you've seen from Josh Johnson. Yeah. I mean, we, we have, we haven't seen much in his Ravens career from Josh Johnson. And the one time that he was under some pressure was, at Cincinnati in that game he started, which wasn't terrific. But in in this preseason, he's looked very good under pressure. Didn't look great in that first game with a lot of short throws, but he has since. And uh, in particular, against the, the top pressure of the Ravens really faced, which was the Tampa stop, even though Philadelphia played a lot of their young, outstanding pass rushers. Uh, you know, it, it, I thought it was really impressive. And, and even at the first game, when you think back to it, they put they stuck Johnson out there first ahead of Huntley, and at the time I thought they're doing that because they want to make sure that Huntley remains healthy as the preseason goes along. And Philadelphia's got a you know a lot of young stud pass rushers out there. I mean Jordan Elliott was playing and um, Carter and and Nolan Smith as well. Very talented front, young front. They needed to play. They needed the reps. And, you know, from the reports we've gotten in this offseason, you talk about our second team offensive line out there getting, uh, you know, the defensive line having the, their way with the backup offensive line. It kind of made sense. That It makes sense. Hey, look, we don't want to put Tyler out there. And, of course, end up pulling a muscle and getting hurt anyway. So just a, a complicated situation here at the backup quarterback spot. I could see it going either way. I'm leaning towards Huntley and trying to work something out with Josh Johnson to get him to stay here. But I'm not quite sure. Yeah. That's, it's one of the things that will create some diversity in the selections on that roster pool. That's for sure. And, uh, uh, you know, that was really the first position worth discussing there. The, the other player who played pretty well in this game and his performance should not be forgotten, but he did have a fumble that, that kind of set himself back. Uh, Anthony Brown, I thought 
looked his best in this game as a passer. Had a couple of nice long throws to Demas. One dropped right into that bracket where, yeah, Demas made a great catch going up to get the ball, but that ball was also thrown perfectly into that very small bucket um, that he had to to give Demas a good chance to catch it. Shown some escapability. He's shown some uh, arm talent. It's just very inconsistent, very inconsistent so ups and downs with Anthony Brown, which is what you would expect from an undrafted quarterback. But he, he, he strikes me as having the tools of an NFL quarterback where mobility. Go ahead, kid. I'm sorry. Do you keep him on the practice squad? Well, I think that you need a third quarterback either way. Um, that's to be an interesting choice. That would be a very interesting choice. No opinion. Do, do, do you have one? I just feel strongly well, one way or the other. Here's what I would say. I mean, Josh Johnson will go wherever the opportunity is going. Josh Johnson is a is a packed suitcase ready to jump on a plane. You know, when when uh, when that time comes, Anthony Brown is probably at the level where he's not an obvious selection for anybody else in the league to take, but he he'd be safe that that you still be around and you can keep his phone number, or you can actually let him have a few reps in some of these practice. Uh, game go up against the defense as a scout team quarterback or whatever it might be. Uh, maybe he learns the offense a little better there too. Yes. And, and toolsy again, I just want to bring it up. You get him experience. He can mimic mirror. Like you're saying some of these more mobile quarterbacks, or he's got a big enough arm where he can play the role of different, you know, you can ask him to do different things uh, to give your defense a good look during the week. Most impressive throw of the night I thought was Brown being flushed left, still being able to reset his feet. Incredible courage to basically stand in there. And I kind of know why he didn't get hammered on that play because he didn't even take a quarterback hit. It was definitely pressure. But it was probably a case where Tampa's thinking, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna uh flatten the quarterback here and risk a rough of the passer penalty that's gonna give him a first down because third and long, I think, on the play. And floated the ball way downfield on the left side to Demas. We talk about this all the time on this show that, you know, rolling left for a right-handed quarterback is pretty much death, uh, even for a pretty mobile guy. But he got his feet reset, was not afraid to, to stand in there and make a big arm throw. And uh, Demas was was behind the defense, which shouldn't have happened. But uh, I just very impressed with the courage and arm strength on that throw. And we saw the guts when he, he played Pittsburgh and had to come in from his own end zone making throws to the – that believe to the boundary. So yeah, he's got some toughness, some mental toughness and some, uh, some guts, a lot to like about Anthony Brown. I, you know, I don't think that you could survive long at his, at this point in his development with him playing a long stretch of games. Uh, he will get exposed obviously, but um, you know, there are th- some things to like. So I'm very proud of him. I think overall this preseason was a plus for him and his development and the tape that he put out there because of the flashes. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's move on and talk about the offensive line. And we hit on some of these things in the first episode. So I think we'll have a reduced kind of a discussion of Ben Cleveland. Um, but maybe we talk about uh, any player you like. You're the guest. You bring up the first offensive lineman you'd like to talk about. Yeah, I want to go from the – not the bottom, but a player that's probably not going to make the roster, and that's Tayshawn Manning. I see a future for him in the NFL if he keeps on this trajectory. Uh, very good run blocker. I've seen uh, he does did play for Kentucky. Ken in the SEC looked that up, mm-hmm. and uh, you know I think that he's got some room to grow as an overall player. Uh, but he's got Mauler qualities, and 
Kind of looks like he could play guard in this league if the Ravens are able to keep. I hope he's on this practice squad uh, come come Wednesday. Yeah, they're, they're going to try. And and I would think that they have a pretty good chance to get him. And if if I were looking at what's going on at guard for the Baltimore Ravens right now, and I'm, I'm Sean Manning, I think, yeah, maybe I want to stick around. Uh, because not everything is right uh, in Denmark right now or whatever the <laughs> appropriate non-mixed metaphor might be. Uh, but he's he, he I think he he could potentially have a chance to make the roster, maybe even play as a practice squad call up here uh, where he might not get that opportunity nearly as quickly somewhere else. Agreed. Agreed. You have uncertainty with uh, Zeitler's future next year. Yeah, what he I think wants to be extended. Left guard is a, is a quandary at this point. I mean, Manning could play this year uh, if if things roll out a certain way and there's, you know, an injury or underperformance by Simpson once we get to the regular season. But I do kind of view Manning as more of a right guard. I'm almost positive that's where he was you know, parked at Kentucky the whole time. And uh, he's got that run blocking, uh, what do you call it, Ken, open the gate type qualities. Yeah, that I mean, that generally means he's long armed and play, would play on the right side. I've, and I've yeah. seen it. I've seen it. Yes, and you know, I torque. think that he has. Yes, he's got that kind of torque and just natural power. Uh, you know, as a as a right guard, pass protection though, you better be pretty darn good at right guard. So that mm-hmm. that is going to be his obstacle and where he needs to grow. All right, face a lot of those three techs, man on man, uh, in that right guard spot. All right, so let's uh, let's move on, and uh, I tell you who the guy I want to want to talk about is Simpson, even though he didn't play. And Simpson's performance was near flawless this this preseason, by the way. In fact, in the last game, in I think it was thirty or thirty one snaps, whichever it was that were scored, he had zero negative events and zero missed blocks. And I'll tell you this: in terms of gameplay, and a, game, a typical NFL game is more than twice as long in terms of snaps for a, for an offensive lineman. Um, I can count on one t- one hand the number of such games I've scored in in twenty almost twenty years of uh, all of offensive line players with with uh, ones across the board in terms of of what he delivered on a play by play basis. So it was very impressive. And the first game, he made ninety percent of his blocks and missed three, but didn't have any negative plays. So he's basically had a nearly flawless preseason in just about exactly one game of play. I was able to get a little bit of a backstory. I did a uh, an interview before before the preseason games, like during camp, with uh, someone that you had have had on here before. That's how I heard of him and started contacting with him, Sanjit, uh, who goes by the football scout, covered the Raiders. So he was on one of the Know Your Foe shows, and I started following him. But um, I asked him about Rocky Seam, Simpson, Trayvon Mullen. They, Mullen was healthy at that point, or we thought he was going to participate. What he had to say about Simpson was very interesting. And uh, he said, basically, look, this guy was moved from right guard to left guard. Then he played for two different, completely different schemes. One was pretty much all power. The other one was all zone blocking, stretch zone with the obviously turning over the John Gruden uh, regime there in uh, Oakland slash Vegas. So he basically said, look, Simpson's been, they bounced him around. They've taken him in and out of the lineup. Uh, stunted his development, and he said, look, I didn't like Simpson that much coming out of the draft, but he showed me the flashes. And it just goes to show you, Ken, the reason I say that is that confidence, development can mean a lot. And Simpson alluded to he pretty much had lost his confidence, and he feels like a new player here. So a fresh start for him and uh, all power to him. 
2020 draft pick. So a huge year for him in terms of his fourth year in the league. So oh, yeah. hopefully the Ravens caught lightning in a bottle here with this guy and he, he can show out and, you know, he feels like he has a home in between two pretty good players in Tyler Linderbaum and Ronnie Stanley. Yeah. And so he's, he's got to help Linderbaum in some ways, but he's also got to help Stanley. He's got to be ready to get on the help blocks for him. Cause the Stanley that is now out there is not 2019 Stanley. We don't believe. I don't believe anyway, I hope, but I don't believe until <laughs> I see it um, with Simpson. I, I look at this as a master class in motivation, what the Ravens did with him. And look, maybe some of this was, you know, he didn't get a real opportunity. And I wonder if some of those comments didn't come out last year and the Ravens didn't really go into this off season and say, look, we need to create a, a competition for John Simpson. And then we need to figure out how he's going to, he's probably our best left guard right now, but we, but we need to figure this out. And they, may, they almost manufactured this Salah thing from the beginning. Salah was a right tackle, converted to left guard, probably still not with the grown man strength to play guard in this league yet. You know, lots of lots of potential issues with inconsistently that comes with the, being a rookie offensive lineman. It's no knock on Salah, not really, uh, you know, at that point. But the, the, they almost handed the job to him on a silver platter right out of, uh, you know, right in OTAs. And it was almost like, you know, your girlfriend trying to make you jealous kind of situation where I think that, that Harbaugh, Dallas Andrus, uh, probably to a lesser degree, Dallas Andrus, my, my bet would be it's Harbaugh mostly who's, who's behind the, the thought process here said, you know, we've got to motivate this guy in a different way. He's all about the excuses. Let's put somebody else in there, make him the starting left guard and then have Simpson win it from him. If he's good enough and tell him, look, you're not there yet. You you need to improve. These penalties, 17 penalties and 1545 snaps coming into this, that's not good enough. You need to cut down on your holding flags. You need to figure you need to take ownership of that and figure out how to do it. Yeah, maybe they screwed you in in Oakland, but you didn't play it to a particularly high level either. So figure that out and you got a chance to be the starter. This is an open competition, but Salah's got it right now cuz he looks fine to start the season. And then all of a sudden, midway through camp, it wasn't a matter of, of you know, Salah's, it was Salah's job to lose, which it seemed like to that point. Harbaugh just suddenly announced, oh, and by the way, we're switching next week. So each of them kind of gets a chance. I think it was planned the whole time. I think, I think they thought from the very beginning that Simpson was the more likely to win it. They would make this change and that he would run with it. And sure enough, he takes over at left guard and, and he didn't have any problems in, in the preseason in terms of penalties. In fact, I noted plays where he actually pulled away from the frame of the body to avoid some of those massive, he had 13 holding calls in, uh, among the 17 penalties, along with two personal fouls. Uh, you know, so it wasn't a bunch of false starts, but he really got his penalties under control with this motivational plan that I think Harbaugh put in place. And if it wasn't Harbaugh, whoever thought of it deserves a lot of credit. I like it. I like it. Uh, you know, very possible. Also, very possible that, uh, well, in addition to that, that. You get a look at Sala and put some pressure on him. See how he responds. The first team, sure. so win, win, win. Look, take a look, a little pressure off of uh, John Simpson. Let him get some confidence coming out of the bullpen. You know that kind of thing. Tell him what he needs to do to be in, like you're saying, motivate him, avoid the penalties. So, yeah, well played by the coaching staff. It looks like at, at this point because uh, you mentioned the the performance by Simpson. Now I wasn't grading, but to me it was just like the combination of what I was seeing from Simpson and what I was seeing for Sala 
I mean, it would it couldn't be more different as far as okay. yeah, and but even like even like it, it was just magnified more than it should be for a preseason game. And normally for a preseason game, kind of I'm like, all right, it's the preseason. Okay, we've seen preseason. Somebody looked great in the preseason, but it was like it was the way Simpson was winning and the way Sala was getting beat that just showed you like a more night and day than I than I should have been feeling for a preseason game. I would say I, I'm gonna I'm gonna there's two things I'm gonna throw out there about Simpson that I think are like specific technical things that I really like. And one is you mentioned bouncing around between zone and power. Um, I thought Simpson as much as any lineman looked extremely comfortable zone blocking. You know, the, the, the classic get your left arm out, in his case, when you're zone blocking to the right, and keep it on that man. Don't let anybody cross your face. You know, that's the basic rule of zone blocking there. And I thought he did just a very good job of maintaining spacing properly, looking like he knew what he was doing when he, when he was zone blocking. I'll give you one other negative that I still don't think the question is answered, is that I don't know that he is going to be the perfect guy. And there may, be, there, there may not be anybody that the Ravens have to defend the A-gap, the left A-gap, from the kind of bombing I think it will take. Because that's the place where the Ravens potentially have a hole, is next to Linderbaum, trying to figure out how to, how to pass block that gap properly. And hopefully Simpson is a guy, because he certainly has the length and the height and more of a tackle-like build that he could be appropriate to help pass block next to Linderbaum, uh, has the has the large size and the grown man strength that will help next to Linderbaum at the back end of double teams, for example, the back end of combination blocks. Um, I think he could be the right guy for that. I just, I still, I think the question is unanswered as to whether he's going to be a good enough pass blocker to really make up for other deficiencies that exist in that left A gap. Hey best that we have right now and Cleveland Cleveland is up and down with that too sometimes Cleveland's recognition looks excellent other times it doesn't and I wanted to go back just very quickly um to the to the zone Sanjeet said look he's he's got the profile of a power player he looks like he's the kind of guy that would thrive in power systems Mm -hmm. and just for whatever reason he was very very comfortable in zone and then when I went back and watched a couple of games for the Raiders and then watching what we've seen in the preseason, it adds up. Like I have to give Sanjeet T again, the football scout at the football scout. If you want to follow him, uh, it's on a credit for there because, you know, I thought he was being quite honestly, a little bit too positive about Simpson and maybe in general, just positive, you know, positive analysis, but he was spot on. This is his own player who just needs to settle in somewhere. And man, does that look like what happened, you know, to a T here in the preseason. It's just, there's also something, the Raiders gave up on a player who seems to have value. And we don't know yet. We we hope that's true. We certainly hope he he goes into this regular season and and continues to play at a high level. Um, But when you look at a guy who has that many penalties and a single problem is not being solved, I do look at the coaching some, but I also look at the player and say, look, something is not right in terms of his respect level for learning or the game or his work ethic or something, something is, is off. So that, that may be part of why the Ravens felt the need to motivate Simpson. I think it's, it's, you know, it's honestly, it's one game worth of snaps we've seen so far. The holding penalties could return, but it looks like he's made an active effort to avoid them. And he's going to be coming to a fan base. That's not going to tolerate a lot of crap from their guard play. You know, this Ravens team, especially during the Roman era has gotten great guard play and, and the ability to, to even from some marginal players, 
you know, Bradley Bozeman, for example, um, in terms of, of, of getting good, James Hurst, you know, way back when, in terms of getting some pretty good pulling guards, they're not going to take, they're not going to accept less. And, uh, and I think that, that that's going to be something that obviously here, maybe not necessarily more than it is for Las Vegas, but is probably going to be looked at more on a winning team than on a losing team. For sure, especially with the expectations on offense and the expe- expectations overall. You know, I, it's amazing what happened with Bozeman, what happened even with Powers, just the way that they stepped in and uh, really raised their game. And I, I just give Joe Del Sanders a lot of credit. You know, if he left the organization, decided to retire next year, I, th- I think we're worse off for it. Like, I have that much respect right. for him because we just, it just seems like, you know, from the Matt Scurros to, Everyone else, man, we can take uh, guys that aren't coveted or tossed to the side by other players, plug them into the system here, no matter if it was Romans or before Roman or now here with Munkin and, and, uh, and develop them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been definitely been a strength and uh, love Joe D. But if you go out to camp and watch Joe D, by the way, you can't help but be impressed with the guys. Watch how he runs those half line reps and how he's building building them up to a certain level, how he jumps in there and shows these, these young kids uh, footwork. Joe Sanders is kind of the um, epitome of a coach who you would not necessarily think would be relatable to young players. Cause you know, young players, they, they oftentimes are going to want somebody who speaks the same language they do probably just got out of the league. I think, you know, Anthony Weaver has no, no problem relating to young players because he gets in there right there and he's a tough guy with them and whatnot. And a lot of the other coaches, I think that's not a problem either. Keith, Keith Williams comes to mind as being a very technical coach who's relatable also as being a, you know, a, a fairly young guy still, but you know, older guys tend to be less relatable and older guys uh, who are white, frankly, uh, have a less chance to uh, I, I think connect with, other uh, with with players in general probably but uh, but they they're bringing something from way back when and Dallas Sanders he's that perfect mix of it's okay that he's completely old school because I think he's still relatable to the players he coaches and his track record speaks for himself for yeah. itself you got look hey you got former players you've seen them make money under Joe D mm-hmm. I'm sure his reputation among the linemen that, that are already there in that room Look, man, you can you better listen to Joe D. Yeah. You know, whatever he tells you, you trust that man. Yeah, he and, made Ryan Jensen a very rich man. Right, right. I mean, and, but uh, you know, even the guys in the room now, like Ronnie or Zeitler, guys that they'll look up to to be like, look, listen to Joe D. Absolutely. Okay, let's move on. Um, I, Mustafer, we talked a little bit about already, right, in the first show, so I don't think we need to talk about him too much. Any other offensive lineman you want to hit on before we move on to the tight end group? Not really. I, I just want to say that overall, the health of this group is going to be key. Uh, the continuity, Ronnie, Linderbaum, Seitler, Moses, even if we have some kind of movement at left guard somewhere in the season, but the health of the line and the, the, the continuity is uh, is very important, Ken. Like you yeah. could have, you, you saw it with the Steelers starting to heat up at the end of last year. You, you keep a guys together for long enough and let them play let them learn each what, what it's like to work with each other. And you can see them overperform uh, like the greater, what is it? The sum of the parts. Yeah. Uh, they're over. The, the sum is greater than the parts themselves. So I'm looking for hopefully some luck, some good luck on this offensive line. Morgan Moses. It's one tough dude. Seeing him take some shots and not miss time 
Uh, there's some real tough guys on this line. Uh, hopefully Ronnie can stay healthy and, and return to some kind of form because uh, we're going to need him. We're really going to need him. So just wishing good health on this O-line. He's the key, of course. But, you know, they have like 14 guys in that unit. And the number of camp days they've missed is almost nothing. I mean, it's a, the vet days for for Ronnie have been significant. They, they basically have let him out of pretty much every padded practice, every preseason game. I don't even know if Ronnie has had one padded practice he's actually participated in. Maybe the very first one. But he sat out against both the commanders, sat out against all three preseason games, you know. There was never question of him getting, you know, a, a, a trial by fire workload this preseason. We're going to see it against Houston in week one. Ken, I think that that's part of the reason. Yeah, Will Anderson, by the way. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Top defensive player taken, I believe, uh, in this past draft, uh, splashing in the preseason. Ronnie, Ronnie's going to need to be uh, – I would like to see him get a little more work than what you just described because we're going to need him from play one uh, coming up here. And, uh, and yes, man, I think that Ronnie's health, Mark, and how, how what, he, what his role is and some other things that we're not going to get into tonight, but – I think that's kind of why they went the voidier route instead of the let's keep restructuring Ronnie because um, you just don't know. There's some questions. Is likely and Kolar going to emerge at tight end? Uh, you know, with that kind of thing. How is this new offense going to work? So I think they purposely didn't like triple down on Ronnie's contract or Mark's contract or somebody else that they could have restructured and just decided to go with the void years and, and just eat it that way. Yeah, that's a good point. So they they could have gotten that money otherwise, and this makes it actually easier to cut Ronnie after. I forget if it's after. I think it's after twenty four that they that they really have an incentive potentially to do it. Maybe he wants to retire. Maybe he told him, "Look, man, I don't want to risk it. It's hurt. I'll pull him to play out these next however many years." And mm-hmm. you know, they or they're worried that he may choose to do that. Yeah. Um. So yeah, or there could be a decline in play. But I kind of look at it as like. Some people say, well, if, if you re- if you restructure, it spreads out the risk. But to me, I don't know that that's a good thing with certain players. No, it's, so, it magnifies the risk. It doesn't it doesn't. Right. It doesn't do that. So you, you get away cheap this year and then the piper has to be paid. And, you know, I mean, void years are another way, frankly, to do something that's very similar. But uh, but I would agree if they if they have. If they're unsure of whether they're going to lose one or two years off the end of Stanley's contract, then they really want to keep that as free as possible to, to know what they're doing. So right. let's take really Odell, for, wait, take Odell for a different for uh, an instance. Mm-hmm. If something happens with Odell, we definitely don't want him back next year. Yada yada. Okay, the Odell is in a you know that that didn't work out. It affects the cap. But if we took real money out of Ronnie's, if we added to Ronnie's contract to sign Odell. Not only is Odell a negative in that situation, but then now you put yourself in a worse situation with Ronnie too. So like I kind of like I went back and forth with this this offseason to myself. Like, okay, is the void year kind of minimizing the risk because you're not spreading it out among two people? 
you know, you're just putting it all on, on say Odell in that situation. I'm trying to, I'm trying to really think through this. If, if you paid Odell the same amount of money with the same incentives, but all in 2023, I, I, I don't think you change the amount of fungible dollars you have. You have to have a variable cut point before you, it makes an actual financial difference. So, but that still, you know, speaks to your point that, 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 you know, not doubling down and run, it still gives you that, that tiny amount of additional flexibility. And, and I think you're right. I think it's possible they've, you know, Ronnie has either indicated by his actions or words that there's a chance he'll retire. I was afraid that might happen to Zeitler before this year. I was afraid he might retire uh, and not play, but, uh, but he's, he looks like he's raring to go once an extension now. Zeitler reminds me of uh, like we've talked about with Sam Cook uh, mm-hmm. right before the draft. And we got into it a little bit, like the kind of guy you're going to have to lock the building to, to yeah. keep out. Like that's the way Zeitler describes me doing the uh, pass. That's it is when his wife was about to give birth. That's a guy who's not ready to give it up. Yeah. Incredibly, the guy's never made a Pro Bowl, but uh, you know, with all of the Pro Bowl inflation there's been that Tyler Huntry, Huntley gets to be a Pro Bowler, you'd figure at some point a player like Kevin Zeitler would get his his uh, his time to play flag football in Hawaii for once. Let's move on to the tight end spot. I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. We talked a little bit about in the first episode about, about Ricard versus Vokalek and whether there was, there was really a competition there. Uh, We've kind of left aside so far the notion that Isaiah likely is going to be ready to perform at a high level come the first game. I think that I'm less concerned about this now with the talented receiver. That's that's going to be my one and only point is that you know we can we we're in a position now where we can go four wide and you know if you have a progression where Odell's your number one, Zay's your number two, Reed, then you go across the field. And, you know, and basically I'm saying either Aguilar or Duvernay is your fourth guy. That's a pretty good, that's a pretty good situation to be in, Ken. So even with the tight ends, if, if likely needs some time or if Mark needs uh, extra break, uh, sure, you're, we're going to want a blocker in there to close out games. Not saying that. All I'm saying is that as far as a receiving group, they're going to help the, the a guy like likely, for instance, who, who can do some damage as a, uh, as a target. Mm-hmm. I, I imagine they will have room for him, and if they don't, Kolar will get a chance. And Kolar, as a receiver, has looked terrific, so I don't think that's g- going to be the issue. Let's uh, let's jump right to it and give our offensive MVPs for this game. Then we'll jump right into our roster prediction. Uh, do you want to go three to one on on offensive MVPs? Ken, I'd like to, I'd like to just I'd like your list. Okay. So uh, I, I'd say we just say our piece on each one of them if you want. Real quickly, Owen Wright, number three, came came in, made some good runs, real good run in the backfield when there was penetration there, uh, where he basically got, I think it was Vokalek. No, it might have been Kolar. No, 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 no. It was one of the backup linemen. I'll get it. But anyway, he 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 bailed out a lineman from a bad negative play by uh skirting around for about a five-yard gain late. I like that. I really liked his ability to uh, run through people and run over people on that 38 yard run. Loved it. I think that he has shown the physicality that you need to be a back who can stick around a little bit longer. Uh, maybe he, maybe he's like a, a Melvin Gordon in five, six years, not in like the career trajectory, but okay. You know, he's not real fast, but he can pass protect me. He gets tough yards between the tackle. We could use this guy on the goal line. Like I could see, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to get a job 
as a running back. It's tough to keep a job as a running back. So a uh, lot of credit to Owen Wright for this game. Deserves the MVP free spot. It's good by me. So definitely a player. I mean, look at Gus Edwards, who came from the practice squad and all like that, as soon as he was playing with Lamar Jackson, was one hell of a football player. And I, I could see that happening with Wright as well if they had to go to him at some point this year. So I think he, he's a he'll be their top practice squad back would be my prediction. I don't think it'll be a veteran. Me too. Number two guy, Dante Demas, a uh, couple big catches, the beautiful uh, contested as, as it could be catch. Uh, he went up very high to get that ball. I think that's kind of underappreciated. Came down and held it uh, along the right sideline, then had got behind the defense. Shouldn't have happened. I'm sure the safety made a bad play on the, on the play, but, uh, but he got behind the defense and uh, uh, made a play uh, on the ball from right. That was thrown up almost for grabs, but, but, uh, Looked a little bit like Jacoby Jones on the Meyer High Miracle behind the defense when that shouldn't have been the case. He was the last receiver I put on my draft board, Ken, in part because I knew there were going to be Maryland fans that were looking for him. And, you know, I wanted people to know that, yes, I, I'm aware of Dante Demas, but I don't see him being able to get separation at all in this league. But I also see him as tilting those 50 50 balls into more like 60, almost 65, 35, Ken. Like, I think he's that good at it. His strength is that good. And I think also he could be the type of receiver uh, who could block, who could really, really block. I want to say there was a play where he where he was, but maybe it was one of Wright's runs, where he was blocking downfield and manhandling someone. So he's got some NFL qualities, the, the 50-50 ball, the blocking, the size. Saw him box out people at Maryland on some slants and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So uh, very proud of him for making those two splash plays. Hope we can keep him around. Hope we can keep him around because there are things that he could do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Josh Johnson, my number one. I, is there much more to say about him? We've kind of gone a lot about this, and and uh, I'd like to get to the roster if you're good. I'm good. I just wanted to say Sam Mustafer. Uh, I would put him somewhere on the list, maybe just props for the entire preseason. Not only a good game, but he emerged as someone who – uh, I didn't have very high expectations for uh, reputation, the grades, the games that I saw. And he very clearly looks like somebody that we need to keep on this roster to back up Linderbaum. Like I wouldn't go hunting from, for some other team's center that we think could be as good as Mustafer or we think is a little better. I would just stick with Mustafer right now. Completely agree with you on that one. Uh, why don't we move on and go to the roster now, this, this is an interesting thing because I think a lot of people who play the roster game want to split their roster up 25, 25, and three every year because the Ravens always end up doing that, at least by the opener. But this year, there are a whole bunch of things happening on defense that may allow it to be a 26, 24 year. Um, I don't think it'll be more than that, but I think it could be 26, 24 this year. Uh, because there are most of the players that uh, are handshake deals are on defense. This could save the Ravens, Ken. Mm -hmm. And the conundrum that we talked about in the first show between, man, we don't want to lose this guy. We don't want to lose that guy. We don't want to lose that guy. As you mentioned, Brent Urban, Kayvon Seymour, Daryl Worley, all candidates for handshake deals. Angelo Blackson, too. Angelo Blackson, I see he's a candidate, but he's not. He's not personally on my on my radar. I I don't know. I think there's going to be another cut or somebody else that could step in. We need some depth there on that D line. The top four or five, including Urban five, 
uh, looked very, very good to me. But I think we could use another pass rushing uh, threat there. Of course, we're going to get some help from the outside linebackers, hopefully in these pure rush situations as well. Um, but, yes, 26 on offense to 24. I could see that being the split when it comes roster time tomorrow. Right. Uh, Go with three two, safeties. Go with three yeah. safeties and, you know, say, look, we got Brandon Stevens. Even if Worley doesn't come back, goes against his word, we got Brandon Stevens. We got uh, our Darius Washington. We have three f- free safeties, three guys with the ability to play mm-hmm. f- free safety on the roster, including Stone, Kyle, Marcus Williams. So, okay, what's the difference between a slot corner and a strong safety? Really, Ken, it's size. They're both lurking around the line of scrimmage most of the time, both playing off coverage a lot of the time. Uh, tight ends are their bigger targets. Your slot receivers, the size varies. So when you look at responsibility to positions that are very close, it's your slots receiver and your strong safety. So I think that the Ravens could just say, look, we want to play this numbers game, keep as many as we want. Let's just go with the three safeties uh, come cut down so we can keep 26 on offense. I think I think it will be three on cut down day, and I think Worley will be back. I think, he made 18 or whatever it was transactions with Worley last year. They love him. He, what he did for them in the first preseason game was I've never seen anything like it in terms of high leverage plays at the end of a preseason game to basically single-handedly win that game. And in the second and third game, he got the star treatment. He's, he, you know, all of a sudden they're not putting him on the field because they don't want to take risk with him. And that says to me, they want to keep the guy. Uh, and also very excited by the way, uh, not just cause I got the interview him, which was great. It's very interesting having him on the show, but I'm very interested about Jeremy Lucian and how he develops here. And he's one of the guys that I want to have as the safety on the practice squad, because I think he's an excellent chance to help the team in 2024. So you might lose Geno Stone. He might be gone after this year. That would be a darn shame, but it's certainly a possibility. And Worley, you certainly might lose after 2024. Who's who's that next backup safety that comes in? Well, you, you'd like it to be a free safety. If so, Lucian looks like he could be that guy. So I'm I'm... I want to play the long game with regard to the practice squad as, as much as possible. And I want Lucy in a, in, in a spot there. Okay. Agreed. No problem here. Great job with uh interview on Lucy and as well, too. It's, it's a, it's one of the easiest interviews ever. Cause he drives the whole thing. He wants to tell you about his Cinnabon business and, and, and everything. It's just a very interesting entrepreneurial character. Let's jump right in with the quarterbacks here, though, uh, for uh, uh, this. I have Jackson and Johnson as my two. Who do you have? Uh, I have I have Jackson and Huntley, although um, I, I hope that they can convince Johnson to stick around. But like you said, he's a he's got a suitcase pack kind of guy. So my philosophy on keeping Huntley ultimately comes down to I think he's more likely to get claimed right away than than Josh Johnson. Some may disagree. I know that it's just a very tough call, but uh, ultimately come week one, unless Huntley is unable to uh, play because of injury, I expect him to be the backup. Okay. Lots of other possibilities there in in terms of IR. Harbaugh seemed to rule those out today and his language and the way he talked about it, the way it's not yet decided, we'll we'll figure out the next couple of days. We're not going to talk about it because why would we? All that language tells me they're doing something that they didn't. They're not. We're not expecting them to do, which probably means Josh Johnson over Huntley at number two, and that's that's just my own interpretation of the of the the words. But you know what? It's not impossible. They're still looking outside the building and this this nosing into the Trey Lance situation. What did you make of that? Uh, I feel like the Ravens were being used as a negotiation ploy. I don't, I don't buy it. I think it, 
Trey Lance to me is someone that uh, would fit if you have a quarterback on a one-year deal, two-year deal. You want to bring him in, see what he's got, uh, see if you can develop him. But uh, I don't know. I don't know. Just my guess. I obviously don't have any inside knowledge in that, but I don't buy the Trey Lance. I would buy more of like a uh, a Teddy Bridgewater or somebody that you knew as a steady mm-hmm. top-of-the-line backup and not a project as your backup. I think you'd rather just go with Huntley or Johnson in that case. And also, Ken, I want to ask if we could do receivers next because go. the other three positions tie in together, I think, a lot with choices. Wide receivers uh, it is. Yeah, I, I have six uh, coming up on countdown day, and I have six coming up on opening day. Simple group for me. Um, with Bateman, Beckham, Flowers, Aguilar, Duvernay, Wallace. And then hopefully uh, we talked about Dante Demas and maybe Tariq Black would be, uh, from camp reports, would be the two guys I'd be interested in keeping on the practice squad. Okay. I, I First of all, I'm, I'm dead solid on your, on your six guys. I would rather keep Demas and Black, say, than uh, include Laquan Treadwell on the, on the practice squad. That said, Laquan Treadwell probably answers some questions about special teams. He just he goes against the philosophy of trying to keep the practice squad young this year in particular with so many free agents coming up. Understood. Now we get to the not-so-fun part. Running back? Do you want to talk about it or what do you want to talk about? Yeah, sure. Running back, um, I noticed you have Ricard still because I know the personnel is aligned. He's you know the mm-hmm. running back. I, I have Ricard basically as a tight end, though, but um, – I think that uh, what do we want to go forth? What happens that cut down or what happens week one? Uh, we can, we can guess whichever you like. I, I, I can, I can talk about anything. In my case, it's the same week one or cut down. Okay. Mine is, mine is uh, one in a possible, as you would say in the game of spades. Okay. I think tomorrow at four o'clock, there will be four running backs, not counting Ricard Dobbins, Edwards Hill and Keaton Mitchell. I think all make this roster. Hill is one of two guys, him and Big Sala, that I could see being IR'd after they make the initial roster and brought back later. Right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Did I say Hill? Mitchell, you meant, right? I meant, um, yes. Thank you for the correction. Mm -hmm. Either Keaton Mitchell or Big Sala makes the 53, but gets IR'd after that. I could see that kind of going down because because we we might not need that running back depth early. He may not have a spot on the active uh, game day roster, I mean. Uh, so maybe they say, Mitchell, you know, hey, we'll see you. We're not worried about you uh, getting up to speed or needing some reps. You look pretty darn good when you come back, come back full speed. Yeah, they only, they only gave him about, what, seven or eight carries. It's like seven carries the whole preseason. He had six for 11 in that first game, but he broke one that was brought back by penalty. And then one carry for 31 in week two. But I don't think anybody is, is even remotely considering that Mitchell will be cut. And, and brought back. He might make the most sense for IR of the players you're talking about, the short-term IR. Uh, it is somewhat of a commitment to say you're playing Cincinnati and Cleveland the first four weeks and you're willing to have uh, Mitchell be out. So that to me would be a, would be a concern. Uh, but I think, I think I've got the same exact guys I have Ricard in, in with the running backs just for, for this purpose. And if they could get solid IR, it would solve a lot of problems for the offensive line. Boy, would that solve a lot of problems. The, the issue is that Asala on IR loses the developmental benefit of being on the team. I guess he can be in the classroom, so he gets maybe 20% of the developmental benefit, but he doesn't get to be on field and practicing. And that, to me, is, is a little bit of an um, unfortunate situation. Now, if obviously, your 53 spots are too important to, 
to be concerned about Salah's development as the primary concern. You'd be letting the tail wag the dog if you activated him solely for that. Totally agree, Ken. Totally agree. You want to uh, go ahead and get us started on the next one? How about tight ends? Andrew's likely Kolar. I, I don't have Vokalek making it. I think he's an extreme priority uh, for the for the practice squad. I think, he, you know, a guy who will be around next year, if anything didn't work out this year with likely or Kolar, if they decide Ricard's $4 million is not worth it next year, then Vokalek could well be right right in the ballgame again, playing a very similar role to what we've seen this preseason. A lot of in the backfield, a lot of in line. Andrews, likely Kolar, all going to be on the roster tomorrow, all going to be uh, active week one. Mm-hmm. This is where I have, a, a, you know, is Ricard going to be on the on the initial roster or do they just decide to try to negotiate or just cut him so they can keep 10 linemen? That's the question I keep bouncing back in my head. And like I said on the first show, there's no answer that I'm going to be happy with. If we, if we you know, part with Ben Cleveland or we part with Ricard, we're going to be a worse team for it either way. Um, I personally I, don't think they have to do either, by the way. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I would also like to throw out the possibility of other here. So mm-hmm. uh, a blocking tight end and another team cuts loose. Maybe you feel like you can stash, stash Vokalek on your practice squad. Uh, and Ricard chooses to go to wherever he goes. And so another, another player that we don't know. Um, so that's kind of how I see that group. Okay. All right. Very good. So, I mean, the money for Ricard is important. So you're putting a little bit of prep, preference on the cap, which I should really like. I, I just don't, I don't foresee this offense. I mean, here's, here's my issue. And this, this is one of the re- two reasons why Ricard has just killed it in terms of his additional value this preseason. The first is that Kolar has not blocked well. So you have one of your tight ends who's had a, who's had a problem and that's, a, that's going to be an issue. Well, you're getting really some crickets over there, aren't you? Yes. I've been trying to keep diligent with them. Yeah, no, I've, 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 I, I, I've, uh, I've been hearing it, but that's, I appreciate you, you doing that. And did I lose my train of thought here? But the other, the other thing had to do with, yes, the Ravens have been killed in the snap count this preseason. Now, some of it is the other teams are playing more of their regulars, and that has a trickle-down effect to, the, to when the twos and threes come in. And you, So you have a little bit of a, of a mismatch, but that doesn't explain the kind of, you know, getting beat 81 to 49 in snaps against the Commanders, getting beat, I think it was 70 to 58 in this last game. I mean, they've been destroyed. And this has been a, a problem that I'm looking over there like Red Sky at morning, Sailor's Warning. That's probably such an old-timey sailor saying that that uh, that I'm going to really disconnect here. But this is something I've seen on the horizon for a long time, is that Monken's offense has to have a way to close out games, and they have to have a way to keep their defense from not playing a bajillion snaps due to their own explosiveness. And we saw a big problem with that against the Commanders and then against again uh, in this last game against the Bucs. Ben, but don't break type style defense as well. Mm-hmm. So that – it's not like a, uh, you know, we're going to, we're, we're willing to give you a, a short pass and come up and tackle and make it hard on you that way. Wait for our interceptions, get our sacks, uh, the increases that we saw with Mike McDonald. So this isn't a wink, uh, all or nothing, get them off the field or they're going to score a touchdown type risk reward defense. So uh, add that to the, to your worry, Ken. All right. Fair enough. Let's talk offensive line. Cause I have 26 offensive players making it tomorrow at four o'clock. So you have 25, and that's where you can't you can't figure out how to make your last cut. And I say they keep all 10, they cut one extra defensive player because they've got those four handshake guys, and then you still have the ability to bring one back. You just have to figure who on offense goes to IR. 
Mitchell is actually, a, I think, a very good bet. It would be even more valuable if they could get either uh, one of the of the bottom offensive linemen, even, even if it was Cleveland, you know, to start the season on IR, uh, Salah or, or Fa'alele, any of those three would be a guy who's likely to be not really missed in terms of game day activations. The only one who could be missed is, is Cleveland, honestly. Yes, I, I would say don't do don't do that for Cleveland, Ken. I would say my preference would be if it's solid, okay, great. I because I think Mitchell could help us. We could use him situationally, especially if somebody gets banged up. Salah, you know, yes, the the downside is yeah, he's not going to be practicing getting any better. But I think at this point, Ken, from what he's shown, he's so far away. Yeah, good point. I don't I don't think that I mean we might not like to say, oh, he can help us this year seems optimistic to me. Yeah, I, I that actually is a very good point. So this maybe this year is more about nutrition, getting in the weight room, growing into your body, learning the classroom, whatever you can be, you know, being around to watch how Joe D teaches offensive line play in the classroom, you know, from a footwork perspective as opposed to on the field. So it's I, I think that's a very valid point. He's just so far away at this point. And then, I mean, can't we like activate them off of IR the last three weeks or something like that? And yeah. actually get some practice in without, yep. you know, before we have to call it a season with them. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, uh, you know, it's, a, it's a potentially win-win there. And I, I, I think it just makes all kinds of sense, but I'll point back to one guy in the past that they did this for to activate the extra offensive line. He's actually the 11th guy activated on the offensive line was Tyree Phillips. So my, in my opinion, in the with the eight-man offensive line, you have 10 on the roster, you make eight. Um, but even if they didn't do that, I mean, they want more time to try and deal Cleveland. If they're if they're dead, if they have their hearts set on doing that, which I think would be self-destructive at this point, um, I think they're gonna they're gonna try and buy themselves more than a week of time by by putting Simpson on the roster and then cutting him a couple of days before that opener. Love it, Ken. I, I really don't have anything to add. If we can get away with with a 26-24 split tomorrow mm-hmm. and not have to make a difficult decision, I think that would be ideal. Okay. Yeah, I think I, this is the first time where I'd probably bet over even money it's a 26-24 offense split on cutdown day. I do not think it'll be 25-25-3. It'll, I think it'll be 26-24-3. Excellent. hope you're right. hope you're right. I'm always, I'm always skeptical. You know, I can't help but to worry. All right. Always a pleasure talking football with you anytime, Jason. Uh, tell folks where they can talk football with you online. Sure. Join me at Huddle It Up Films on YouTube. And uh, and also you can talk to me on Twitter. Without the cricket, uh, I can hear the damn thing now. <laughs> you know how hard they are to find, by the way, Ken. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Locate. They, they, they shut up right away. They like, see they know you're coming. Uh, so I apologize for that. But thanks, as always. Find me, Huddle It Up Films. Very easy to find. All right. Outstanding stuff there. And uh, uh, Jason, whenever you need me for a guest appearance, you let me know. I'm always happy to happy to talk football with you anytime. Other folks out there, if you want to come on this show, do a film study short, hit me up with a DM on Twitter. You know, they're always open. I get back to you very quickly. Have you have an idea for a show? Maybe we get a chance to talk about it a little bit and and uh, and develop something together. I will say one thing, try and not paint the Sistine Chapel with the episode ideas because there are some ones with people want to go over the evolution of football or whatever. They have to be broken into four shows. Ideally, this is something we can talk about in 15 to 30 minutes. So uh, really appreciate it, though, and uh, all the people who've had interest in it over the years. I I greatly appreciate you uh, participating. Jason, thanks again for coming on. 
Thank you, Ken. I appreciate everybody. Football's family. We'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.